This is Education First Language Teaching Podcast, episode number five. Happy New Year 2018, everybody. I wish you a lot of academic and teaching success for 2018. I am Benjamin Delahaye, your host, and I oversee academics at EF International Language Campuses. In this podcast, you get to hear people in the language teaching field talk about their careers, give tips and advice for the classroom. In this episode, I'm very excited to talk to Emma Tudor, who was up until recently Director of Academic Management for EF North America. She's just moved on to an operational role within North America at EF, not just focused on academics. She's another great example that at EF you can start as a teacher and have an amazing career path. Before we go on to the interview, I would like to announce that her successor will be Mark Ketz, and he's now taking greater responsibility for the whole of North America for EF. Congratulations to both of them. This interview was recorded a few months ago during the summer peak, but if you work in the language teaching field, you know that summer is very busy, and somehow things didn't really quiet down since June. So I only got around to edit the podcast right now and put it online. Emma is full of advice for newcoming teachers, for teachers who want to progress in their careers, who want to do a better job in the classroom. This episode is a bit longer than the other ones, but it is packed with a lot of useful advice. And I hope that you will find a lot of value in it as a teacher or as an academic manager. If you would like to become a teacher for EF Education First, visit our website, ef.com careers. Again, that is ef.com careers. And now, with our fifth episode. We are sitting in the classroom of our, one of our uh, flagship schools, EF uh, San Diego. And I'm sitting here with uh, Emma Tudor. Hello, Emma. Hi. Hi. <laughs> nice to talk to you again. You too. Long time no speak. <laughs> We've, um, you were introduced in a previous episode uh, when you interviewed Alexis. Uh, can you remind us what your job title is? Yep, um, so my job title is Director of Academic Manager for um, uh, North America. Okay, what does it mean? Mm, good question. <laughs> um, what does that mean? So really, um, so we have 13 schools across North America in the USA and Canada. As you can imagine, that's quite a lot of um, teachers, academic staff, a lot of teachers, a lot of books. <laughs> yep. um, so just oversight to make sure that... Um, the academic staff have the support that they need to make sure that um, you know that we're providing the the best quality education that we can in the classroom. So a lot of it is academic support, um, and then I'm also involved in academic development. So working with the central team in Zurich on developing our materials. Yeah. So in terms of support, you travel to our thirteen sites. In, in North America. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You meet with the academic director. <laughs> yeah. So with the 13 schools, I you know, try to get to all the schools at least once or twice every year. Yeah. Um, and usually we try to go at um, either busy periods, so we're offering a lot of support to the schools, or in the quieter times where we can maybe sit down and talk more about academic strategy and make plans for the, the coming year. Uh, we also often meet um, in fall where we um, discuss the plans for the, the coming year. Yeah. But it wasn't always like that. <laughs> <laughs> so you have, you have a very interesting career path. Well, uh, thank you. EF, and you, you, you started as a teacher for EF. Yes. So why don't you tell us about your EF journey? Actually, from, I started... From the beginning. Actually, I started before a teacher because I did my training, my teacher training course with yeah. EF, okay. yeah, so yeah. even before the teacher stage. Um, so, yeah, I actually did my TEFL certificate with EF. Okay. 
Okay. Um, and straight away after the TEFL certificate, I moved to one of our education first, our English first schools in China. Why, why don't you tell, because not a lot of people are aware that there's a training center where you can do a TEFL certificate with EF. Where, where was this? So this is actually in the Manchester School. Okay. Um, and it's where English First used to be based in the Manchester School. Okay. Um, and we used to do a lot of training with the local uh, British people. Yeah. And then often we'd send uh, the uh, graduates from the course onto our English First schools, typically based in China, Indonesia, Russia. Um, so we trained, there was a lot of training and then also job placement afterwards. I did my teaching certificate and then went straight off to China to work in one of our English first schools as a teacher. Okay. Um, so that was my, yeah, so I, I which, went... Which city in China? Chengdu. Okay. So this was probably about 12 years ago and I think Chengdu has developed a lot since then. But uh, when I was doing my TEFL course, um, I had a Chinese student called Jenny and um, I was interested in going to China pretty much because I knew nothing about the place. Yeah. So I thought, I'm going to go there and just give it a go. So I, you know, I kind of gave her a, a, an overview of the type of place I wanted to go. So somewhere that would be big enough um, to have some of those home comforts, but not too, not too, big. Uh, not too big, not too developed, not too touristy. I still wanted a, a real Chinese authentic experience. So she actually recommended Chengdu, which is okay. where we had one of our schools. So I went there, um, ate a lot of Chinese food, <laughs> um, learned Chinese. It's um, quite different from Chinese food in Europe, isn't it? It is actually, yeah, especially in Sichuan, it's very spicy. Yeah. Um, so my spice tolerance grew a lot. Okay. <laughs> um, obviously, it was my first year teaching, so I grew a lot as a, as a teacher there. Uh, and actually, it was a really great place to start because um, the students and the school and the network that we had was was really strong. Yeah. Uh, so I think it was a really good starting point to a, a teaching career. IDF. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And did you just uh, did, did you did you do your TEFL certificates because you wanted to travel, or did you get the ID to to travel because you had the Chinese student? during your certificate? I did it because I wanted to travel. Okay. So previously I'd uh, traveled, after college, I'd traveled around South America, got the travel bug and thought, okay, what can I do to kind of uh, explore this further and, and, and travel more? Um, and then I came across, actually, it was someone who worked at EF. Um, he was uh, one of the regulars at a bar that I worked at in Manchester. Okay. And we just got chatting. Uh, and this course sound, sounded amazing. Um, so I actually recommended it to a friend. And he said to me, so you think it's so great, so why are you not doing it? So I did it. And we both signed up together and did the course together. Um, here we are 12 years And here later. we are, yeah. <laughs> But it was, you know, it was a great means to travel, um, and I, I don't think I purposely picked it as a career. Um, but then after doing it, probably, I think after doing the TEFL course, something clicked there where I was like, I love this, this is great, this really suits me. Um, but even then, I, you know, I wasn't sure whether you could even make it into a kind of career path. And then after teaching for a few years, and then moving around to different countries to teach, and then heading back. To the UK. Which where, which countries did you do? Um, so I was in Brazil for a short time, okay. and then in China, and then in Spain. Uh, so I was teaching in Barcelona for a couple of years, and then I went back to the UK, um, back to Manchester, and teaching again for another year or so. Um, and then 
kind of thought, you know what, I like this. I'm, I'm going to try and, you know, make a career of it. Okay, I've not, I'm not traveling anymore. I'm back home, back in Manchester. But uh, I wanted to uh, make it as a career. Okay. And is that when you decided to reapply to EF? Or were yes, you... Yes, yeah. exactly. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So then, so as soon as I came back to Manchester, I wanted to go back to EF. Yeah. Uh, I had to wait for the right um, opening and the right position that came up. But as soon as that position came up, I uh, went for my interview. <laughs> and a teaching position or, or...? No, it was actually... Um, so in Manchester, when I went back as a teacher, I also got offered in a small school, a uh, kind of managerial role. Okay. It was a small school, small program, uh, but I'd had some experience before in kind of senior teacher positions. So okay. this, was a, uh, this was an assistant director of studies position that I was applying for at um, Man EF Manchester. EF Manchester, okay. So you, so you came back to us. I did full circle. At, <laughs> yeah. As what we call an ADOS yep. in the jargon. Um, and then became the director of studies. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Quite soon afterwards. So I was ADOS and then um, the position came up to be director of studies. So I went for that. Um, and then, you know, it's funny. You kind of think, okay, I, you know, I'm, I'm director of studies. I'm happy. I like this. Um, I didn't really think much beyond that. And then... Um, the school director in Manchester left um, and I hadn't really thought about this before but I thought oh this is a good opening this is a great career opportunity I'm not 100% sure what a school director does but I th you know I want a career path I want growth and let's just explore it yeah so that's what I did and then <laughs> I got the job as school director <laughs> yeah. and then did that for a couple of years so that was uh, all within the Manchester school yeah And then after that, uh, when I started in this position, you applied for the director of academic management role yeah. on the West Coast. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then I got a transfer to California, which was very nice. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> From Manchester to, uh, to San, Francisco. San Francisco. Yeah, which is where I'm based now. And I do have a view of the Golden Gate Bridge from my office, which is very nice. <laughs> uh, do you miss the weather? Uh, surprisingly not. <laughs> uh, and I knew that was the time I needed to leave because I think it was the last year in Manchester. And, you know, I think once you've traveled and you've got that travel bug, it's always a little bit with you. Um, so I think I, I think I was back in Manchester for four or five, maybe five years. And that travel bug was kind of still there. So it was, you know, it was a great way to continue my career, but also, you know, go and explore a new city and a new adventure. Great. So as an ADOS and ADOS before, but also in, in academic support that you do today, you recruit a lot of teachers or you, yes. and you have recruited a lot of <laughs> teachers. Um, so this is a question that we ask everyone on this podcast. Uh, what qualities do you look for uh, in a teacher when you recruit them? So of course, with teaching, it's a, it's a profession where there are required qualifications. So everybody needs, everyone we recruit needs to have a bachelor's degree and a TEFL certificate. Um, so that is, you know, that goes without saying. We wouldn't look at candidates without that. Right. However, um, beyond that, for me, um, what's so much more important is the character, uh, the person. Yeah. That's the most important thing. Um, and I think if there are three main traits that I'd look for in a person, the first one would be the team spirit. Yeah. So how well they're going to fit in with the team. Um, we want the teachers to be collaborative, sharing ideas with one another, um, creating a nice community in yeah. the, the school. I think the second trait would be for them to be flexible. So 
Typically, most of our schools are quite big. We offer a lot of programs, a lot of different types of classes, a lot of different levels. And I think for teachers to be able to um, teach a range of skills, of levels, is also really important. So um, having that flexibility, um, I think, is, is really important. Yeah, and the willingness to, you know, maybe if you have a lot of experience teaching beginners, if you come in the interview and said, I only want to teach beginners, that's not... That's a bit of a flag. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I, yeah, that's also career growth for the teacher. Exactly. You know, that's that's yeah. a, a way that teachers can grow. So, um, yeah, I mean, whether it's teaching higher levels or lower levels or Cambridge exams or IELTS or any of those specific uh, classes, it's it's a way for a teacher to grow and learn something different. Not everybody wants to go into a, you know, a different role or a different management position. So I think that's a, a good way for them to grow. So I would always look for flexibility um in a teacher and then I think the third trait I'd look for is um just a person who is this might sound really cheesy but someone who's just genuine and caring uh, I think teaching is a really caring profession yeah. and I think the best teachers are the ones who really care about the students because I think that impacts how you know how they teach they really put care into their lesson planning Absolutely. they really put care yeah. into language improvement and um yeah, I think a good teacher is a, a caring teacher. So a genuine, caring person. <laughs> okay. Is this how you, is this through a conversations that you gauge these qualities of care and team spirit? How would they fit in the team? Is it just, you know, face-to-face -face interviews and you're trying to feel the person? Or do you create situations to test that if when possible? What? Yeah, I think for me, teaching is a really practical skill and to be able to test that in an interview is really important so you can have a face-to-face -face interview with someone where they can tell you you know x y and z but for me because we're interviewing for teachers I actually want to see that in practice so we usually in during interview stages have some face-to-face one-on-one element but then what I actually think is the maybe more crucial part to the interview is we work um, we work on lesson planning so we we often recruit in groups Um, or, you know, even in, you know, it might be pairs. Right. Um, and what we do is group, pair the teachers together and we give them the EF resources and we ask them to create a lesson plan. So I think with the, within them doing that activity, for one, I can monitor and listen to all their great ideas and see how they would, you know, create a lesson. Mm -hmm. So I can listen to their knowledge about teaching, their knowledge about lesson stages, um, their knowledge you know how creative that teacher might be some of the ideas that they're that they're coming up with but also how they're interacting with their peers um are they um collaborating are they participating so i think that's a good exercise to do to kind of in a way feel out those softer skills or less tangible skills yeah okay very clear good advice for <laughs> Director of studies out there listening to us. Here in San Diego, we've spent a couple of days together uh, going, you know, meeting with the uh, academic directors. In the US, the DOS is called an AD, mm -hmm. academic director. We also go to the classroom. Um, we've observed uh, different teachers. When you observe, uh, do you look for something in particular? Um, I think something that I'm really focused on in a classroom is language production so the whole idea for our students to be in our classroom is for them to be 
using the language and yeah. we have a communicative um, approach to teaching. So I would look for any activity where the teacher is really more of, of a facilitator in that they set up an, an activity and that they're monitoring the activity, but they're not really doing much other than that because the students are producing the work. That could be, you know, they might be writing, they might be speaking, they could be reading, but it's really about the, the students making sure that they are um, producing the language. Okay. Um, so minimize teacher talk time. Yeah. Yeah, it's all about student talk time. And then also, uh, I think, you know, grouping and pairing as much as possible. So rather than, you know, one student speaking to the whole class, that's one student, you know, maybe speaking, you know, for 10 seconds, let's say. But if we can get every student speaking for 10 seconds, that means every student, every lesson has had much more opportunity for themselves to participate. Um, So all, you know, the group work, the pair work as much as possible. So I would look for language production as much, as much as possible doing observation. And so what are good uh, ways to, so, okay, grouping and pairing, uh, but do you have examples of some activity types, uh, you know, to stimulate production from the students? Yep, so some of those types of activities, my favourites are always the ones that need no prep. You can just pull it out of the bag anytime and it always works. So anything where it pretty much involves a slip of paper, like as a a maximum. (laughs) Okay. Because everybody has a slip of paper, right? Um, So, um, you know, it could be a simple activity such as writing down your favourite hobby on a slip of paper. Right. And then you can mix and mingle the active the papers together um i like to do that in the form of a what i call a snowball fight right (laughs) so you screw up the piece of paper you throw it around the classroom um, and then you pick up someone else's piece of paper so that you can read their hobby on that piece of paper and then your task is to find the person whose that hobby is okay so basically it's every student walking around the classroom mixing and mingling um, asking questions like, oh, uh, is your hobby horse riding? No, move to the next person. Is your hobby horse riding? Right. Um, so it's really simple. It's really basic. It needs no resource, really. Um, and it works every time. It's fun. It's energetic. And you can pretty much adapt it to any level and for any topic that you want. So if you wanted to specifically focus on a grammar point or a specific vocabulary group you can tweak the activity really easily to to do that i on a side remark i personally really like it when there's physical movement in the in the classroom and that's mm-hmm. probably because you made me attend that workshop in uh, san francisco <laughs> a couple of years yeah. ago but it really stick with me yeah. and um and i i personally um really like it when when teachers don't always work with the same pairs of students, mm-hmm. you know. So there's there's a lot of techniques where you can, you know, you assign different numbers to to the students, and then you know they pair with somebody else in the middle of the class, and that just creates a lot of energy. Yeah, and the, the simplest form of that I think is you don't even need to get clever with it. Just ask your student to stand up, change chairs, and sit back down. Yeah, and that that's enough in itself. That's true. Uh, just any kind of movement. Um, but yeah, I think. Definitely where we can try to get the students up and active. Um, If they've been working on the same task for maybe 25 minutes, 
they need to do something different, even if that's a really small 30-second activity uh, that is not related at all to anything they're doing. They're called brain breaks, and there's loads of them. And just slot slot three of those in, you know, in your class. And it can completely change the dynamic. It can make students more engaged. And it's such a simple, again, I'm very keen on simple, easy to implement uh, techniques. I'm sure that many times you've had to work on a teacher's TTT, teacher talk time. I mean, you know, teaching has an element of performance and some of some teachers just love <laughs> to, <laughs> to perform and, mm. and talk in the classroom. How, how do you help uh, or coach a, a teacher to, you know, to reduce this element of uh, TTT? So I think it's all in the planning of the activity. So firstly looking at what type of activities they're doing um, and if there's any way that you can change that activity to make you know to kind of remove the teacher from it so kind of coaching with activity types yeah um feedback is also another area that's often quite teacher-led so after a after a student or the class has done an activity in like an exercise in their book, for example, it's very often that the teacher will then say, okay, what are the correct answers? And then the teacher will go through the answers. Even though that's checking the answers and it's feedback, I still think that's, you know, that's still high teacher talk time. The students could be checking with one another. Um, So thinking of different ways to vary feedback techniques uh, as well as the activity uh, can help reduce teacher talk time as well. Okay. Um, Discussion prompts are an easy one um so instead of the teacher stood at the front of class asking the questions you know trying to generate discussion just put those on the board and get the students to to talk um i i think it's so important to reduce teacher talk time because not only the students going to be producing the language more it also helps the teacher monitor and learn about their students so it's not you know it's not the teacher is a facilitator and the teacher's not doing anything. No, not that at all. It's yeah. more that they're monitoring, they're walking around, they're listening to their students, they're learning about the student's ability, um, they're, le- they're making notes of errors. Um, so it's a, it's a great way for teachers to learn as much as the students produce the language. Great. Uh, super. And a, a beginning teacher who's, you know, has a lot of things to think about <laughs> before their first class. Uh, what what do you think they should focus on? What is the the one you know piece of advice you would give to somebody about to walk in in their first class? So probably if you're a new teacher, you've you've just come from a TEFL yeah. certificate, so you've yeah. probably got a good idea of lesson planning, lesson stages, activities. Um, so I think my advice to a new teacher who's who's got that knowledge and then they need to apply it, uh, and this is a really simple technique, but I think. Being really focused on the the pace of a class. So you've got the lesson ideas, you've got the staging, but I think something that you learn in practice is the pacing of that. It's very tempting, I think, as a new teacher, if you see an activity is going well, it's very tempting to just let that activity continue and keep going and keep going. Um, But I think the important thing is to notice when when that activity has kind of peaked and the energy kind of starts dropping a little bit, just stop the activity and then move on to the next thing. And that might be kind of earlier than you anticipated or later, but just noticing that kind of temperature of the room 
and and picking up on the the students kind of energy in a way yeah um, because I think pacing of activities can make or break an activity it could be an amazing activity but if you cut it too short it could be completely ruined and then vice versa great activity maybe for 15 minutes if you drag that out to be 30 minutes it could you know you you could lose the whole impact of the activity so I would say you've got the knowledge in the classroom when you're implementing really think about the pacing yeah pay attention to the energy of the room yeah yeah And work you on can, it with pacing. Yeah. yeah, I think you can be a little bit too focused on the plan and and actually not take note or not, not be as aware of what's happening in the room. So just, yeah, observe the room and observe the energy, observe the students. It's going to be different for every single class, every single time. And you'll never learn that, you know, in a TEFL course. You'll never see that in a lesson plan. Only you, you as a human can, can gauge that. Yeah. Now, so we've talked about... Uh, what do we look for uh, to hire teachers? But since we have you in this interview, <laughs> uh, I'd like to go into the topic of what qualities do we look for in teachers who want to uh, go into academic management? So those who are interested in, in career progression. And I understand that it's not the case of every teacher. Not every teacher wants to become a manager. Um, but those who do, What, what do you look for uh, and you know, what advice would you give to them? So I think first of all, if you're looking to transition from teaching into a management position, you've got to believe in the company and what the company offers. Um, because I think you're going to be leading a team of teachers And if you don't believe in that and if you, do, if you can't invest in it, then your teachers will see that. You've got to, you know, again, it comes down to being genuine and genuinely having passion and belief about, about what you do in the school. Uh, you can't fake that um, sure. as yeah. a, you know, ever. But as a manager, you know, with a team of teachers, they will spot it. So if you're not on board with it, how do you expect them to be on board with it as well? Yeah. So really, a, you know, believing in, in what you do um, and what the company stands for. I think that's the most important. Thing. Yeah. I think the other things are important, like skill, ability, intelligence. That's all important, but I think they're, they're more things like skills we can train along the way. Um, but if you don't believe in the company and what it stands for, um, you know, I think that's something that's very hard to, to change in a person. You either, ha you either have that or you don't. Um, so, yeah, belief. I, I completely agree. I think you, you need to be in, in a place of... Um, genuineness yeah <laughs> when you lead because otherwise you can't inspire people to you know to be with you to be on board yeah absolutely like in a classroom a teacher is the leader of the students and yeah. if again if you don't if you don't believe in what you're doing in the classroom how do you expect your students to be excited about the present perfect if you're not yeah and i think it's the same when you go into a management position you've got to be excited and believe in it okay now let's get into the fun questions okay so well it's not just fun it's also you know fun and motivation so we come across you know uh, teaching teams in our in our travels um what are your tips to keep uh, teachers motivated and and also you know having fun in being with us teaching at EF? Um, I think what I've, what I've learned definitely in this position, traveling to lots of different schools and meeting so many different teachers and in different locations, which I think impacts it a lot as well. Um, 
I think teachers, I mean, teaching is essentially the, the core of what we do. They're with the students face to face every single day. Um, and I think just un- having that understanding that it's teaching is a tough job. You have to be on form every yeah. single day, every single lesson at all times. You're not sat behind a computer. You can't go and hide. You know, if your class fails, uh, you're, you, you know, you've got a, a class full of students staring at you. So I think just having that understanding that it, it can be a tough profession, mm-hmm. but it can also be a super rewarding one as well. Yeah. Um, I think it's, it's good for teachers to feel that they're a, a really important piece to the team so um getting feedback from teachers about what works well what doesn't work well making them um putting them in charge of what's happening in the classroom and what's happening in the school because a lot of the times they they know a lot um a, a lot more about you know the the students than someone who's not in the class so i'd say that that was so, so that would be more from a kind of academic perspective but then also Everybody wants to enjoy where they work. Everybody wants to wake up in the morning and, you know, not hate themselves. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so how can we make the place a fun, you know, a fun environment to be in? Um, and I think by creating a culture of collaboration, of sharing, of openness, um, that, that helps. Um, but then there's also some really fun things that you can do, you know, going out for dinner with one another, going out for drinks, having some fun together on a personal level. Uh, I think that's really important uh, to to develop in the team as well. Yeah. In a in a recent uh, conversation, I interviewed uh, Kristen from EF Santa Barbara, the school director, and and I was complimenting her on the community and 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 when I was asking her for the secret, you know, she was saying, "Oh, I involve them." Kind of, she, she said the the same same things as, mm-hmm. as what you just said. One thing that they did, she didn't say. Is that in Santa Barbara, they prank each other all the time. <laughs> and <laughs> so <laughs> work is such a fun environment yeah. uh, because they just joke around with each other all the time. And they, they're just so happy, all of them, to come to work because it's such a fun, fun workplace. Yeah. So important. It's fun sometimes to see, um, like we're in San Diego now. So if you walk into the teacher's room, um, there's a whiteboard. And it's fun to see. In most schools I go and visit the teacher's room, there's some kind of funny thing happening, whether it's a... So in San Diego right now, there's a, a picture of someone on the whiteboard. Um, and it's, you know, it's, a, of course, in a teacher's room, it's a grammar joke based around a verb. Right. Um, and, but then there are a load of comments written on the whiteboard around it. Yeah. So you can see that as a teacher walks into the room, <laughs> this joke just expands and expands. And it's now like part of the, the, the teaching room. Uh, and a, a, yeah, a good grammar joke is always appreciated, I think, in a, <laughs> a teaching room. <laughs> a good grammar joke. That's the secret. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the secret to success. <laughs> okay, um, we're in EF San Diego. You participated in the, the recruitment effort to, uh, you know, to build this fantastic campus. Uh, we, we're, in a, we're in a profession where, you know, there's, there's a lot of, teaching jobs available and, and, you know, English teachers and not just English teachers, language teachers in general have a lot of options uh, for employers. Mm -hmm. So what did you tell (laughs) (laughs) Um, these fantastic people that you recruited? What do you tell them um, to convince them that they should choose EF as an employer? So for me, uh, and I speak personally for this as well, um, EF is a great place 
for career growth. That might be opportunity in different positions. It might be in different locations. Um, it might be within the same school across different departments. Um, and it might also just be within teaching. So because we are so big and we have so many programs, so many different student types, that just creates a wealth of opportunity to build on so much experience. You know, if you're a teacher at EF, you have, you have access to, to so much, um, whether that's, you know, growing as a teacher or growing into other positions. Um, and I, you know, I testify and speak for that personally. And I don't think that I would have had this experience in any other language teaching uh, company. Yeah. Great. So thank you, EF. I ask local people where they advertise their jobs. Obviously, you have more of a national role. Uh, so is there, is there, apart from the EF Careers website, is there a kind of a, a national uh, place where job offers are posted for USA and for Canada? So the most successful site we use is Craigslist. Yeah. Uh, but then also um, Indeed we advertise on. Okay, Indeed. Yeah. 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 Um, we actually use a, a, a recruitment management tool, so it gets posted on several different um, sites. But Indeed and Craigslist are usually the, the most popular, as well as the um, EF site. Okay, so somebody looking uh, for positions available locally, these are websites they should check. Yes, yeah. 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 Kristen was also mentioning that uh, she receives um, applications even when there's not a job post. Yeah. Is this a strategy that you recommend? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think we we typically keep a job open, you know, in most schools all the time. Okay. Um, because we don't want to just make sure that we have, you know, enough teachers for the amount of classes we have, but that we also have uh, the best teachers. You know, we always want to make sure that providing the best quality education we can, um, you know, there, there might be different teachers out there Um, so yeah, always having a, always having a teacher advert up there. Uh, we also work really closely with some of the teacher training centers, whether that's local, um, in the city. So for example, the, you know, the TESOL program at a university or a, a TEFL training certificate, um, uh, company and regionally, um, we, I, I work with them and they have different, um, graduates coming through. And, the, you know, they might be flexible to any position in North America. Um, so if you have, you know, if, if a teacher is on one of those programs, then it's always good to check if there's, you know, some job placement, uh, because it might be that EF also have that relationship already with that college or with that training provider. Great. Well, thanks a lot, Emma, for all your tips and advice. You're very welcome. Great speaking to you. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Bye. That was Education First Language Teaching Podcast. Episode number five. If you would like to become a teacher for EF Education First, visit the website ef.com slash careers. Again, that is ef.com slash careers. Theme music credit, Out of School by Jazzar. I am Benjamin Delahaye, your host. Thank you for listening and don't forget to subscribe to the podcast for more episodes.